Welcome back to Return to Odyssey, the show where we overanalyze old adventures in Odyssey episodes for your listening pleasure. I'm Josh. I'm Rachel. And thank you for joining us. Today we're going to talk about episode three, Connie Comes to Town. If you have not already subscribed, please do so at wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a star rating and review. That helps the show become more visible and helps other people find us. And we're assuming we have some subscribers at this point. We're actually recording these first three episodes in advance before we launch any of them. Right. So So if you have subscribed, thank you so much. Yeah, you're awesome. We appreciate you. So let's dive into episode three, Connie Comes to Town. Yes, this is actually the introduction, in case you can't tell from the title, the introduction of Connie Kendall as a character, who is actually the second most important character in Odyssey in she, more episodes yeah. than any other besides John Avery Whitaker. Mm-hmm. So Connie was originally created as an antagonist for Wit. The producers were talking in the studio about needing an antagonist because if you remember from the first two episodes, we just have things going along and Wit dispensing wisdom and it's all very nice, but good story comes with conflict. So they talked about possibly doing a character who was a teenager and would be kind of a foil for Wit. So the character of Connie was born. And kind of, I guess they wanted her to be abrasive and mean-spirited, or I don't know exactly what they had in mind. Watching Connie's trajectory as a character is actually a really good study in how the writers grow as writers throughout the show, because she starts out kind of sulky and one-dimensional. Grumpy teenager who doesn't like anything. And And as the series progresses, she becomes very perky and cheery and fun to be around. Yeah, even Katie delivery changes. It was interesting listening to when Connie first walks in and you hear Katie Lee's talking, Katie Lee is the voice of Connie, she just feels bored. Mm -hmm. She feels like she's saying the lines very lackadaisically. And that's very much not Katie Lee that I remember. This is as good a time as any. Let's talk about Katie Lee and and her character. Or the actress Mm -hmm. and her career. And so she was, again, just like all the others that we talked about, on tons of cartoons and stuff in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, she was on like 27 episodes of the D&D cartoon. She was on The Adventures of Gummy Bears. She was the voice Uh, of Rolf the dog on Muppet Babies. If you ever watched Muppet Babies, yeah, she's been on Darkwing Duck. She's actually still doing voice work. Yes, she's been on Despicable Me. As she's uncredited, but they say she's been, quote, various voices on Despicable Me. Which makes me hope that she was a minion, or that would just be really fun. Like, that, they, that would be like awesome. they pitched her voice up to be that squeaky minion thing. Mm-hmm. She's been on a couple anime, I think, and some more sci-fi mm-hmm. things. So and depending even, on if you visit the con scene, you may see Katie Lee at some point. And even some computer games and yeah. stuff. It's funny because we were playing through, we love old school adventure games, and we were playing through Grim Fandango. It's a weird cross between Casablanca and Mexican Day of the Dead. That's fun. And there's a scene where there's these couple kid skeletons in a birdcage, and they're complaining about their lot in life. And as soon as one of them starts talking, Rachel was just like, it's, it's got to get no. no, I said, no, 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 it's Connie. And I looked it up in the credits, and sure enough, it was. So very much like the others, hardworking actress, just doing all kinds of different stuff. And And also like the others. And also like the others. So we've come up with this wild thing that we've discovered as we're digging into this stuff. This is a fan theory. It's not even fan theory. It's absolute fact. Part of it is, yes. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you find out about something new, and then it seems to crop up everywhere 
like all the time. So we are fans of this YouTube channel called Defunct Land. And Defunct Land is great. It's basically pop culture historian talking about assorted abandoned amusement park rides and mostly at Disney but he does do other amusement parks. Yeah, and kids TV shows from yesteryear. He did a great series on the life of Jim Henson. He did it's Well worth your time. It's fascinating stuff. Really fun stuff to learn about. But he recently did an episode about this cheapy cheap Disney Channel puppet show called Dumbo's Circus. And it ran for like two seasons. It was when they were first starting out Disney Channel and they needed content to fill. Yeah, so if you remember the, the, I don't remember, the Winnie the Pooh show where people were in costume. I think it was called House on Pooh Corner. Something like that. That Also very cheaply produced. Dumbo Circus was created kind of as a, oh, people like this, let's do this with Dumbo. They had people in suits and puppets, but the puppeteers did not voice the characters. They had voice actors as the characters. Mm -hmm. So Katie Lee was the voice of Dumbo, which unlike in the cartoon where Dumbo does not talk in the actual movie, in this one, I guess Dumbo's a bit older or something and talks and and he's a puppet. But not only was Katie Lee in this cast, we also have... Hal Smith. Hal Smith, who was John Avery Whitaker and... Walker Edmonston. Who was Tom Riley. So we have multiple Adventures in Odyssey characters coming straight off of well the funny thing is dumbo circus ran from 1985 through 1986 and adventures in odyssey began in november 1987 yeah it aired in november 1987 so this is where the fan theory comes in because i have a hypothesis that focus on the family got housemith when they were prepping to do adventures in odyssey and dumbo circus was ending they're trying to find more voice actors and he's like Hey, I know this guy, Walker Edmonston. Hey, I know this gal, Katie Lee. They were great to work with. You should hire them. And And so everyone just comes from this random weird puppet show that no one's ever heard of and then comes to Adventures in Odyssey. And it's just kind of a hoot. It's a weird link between... These well, voice and the funny thing with Katie Lee coming on the show was they were developing the character of Connie, and apparently while they're developing the character of Connie, they were also talking with her about being that character. Yeah, saying, we would really her. like you and to be she, part of this. And she was pregnant, and then when she gets the call that, hey, we're ready for you, can you come work? It's four days after her son was born, and she said, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't. And they're like, oh, okay. And then she doesn't hear anything for six weeks, she thinks that's that. Six weeks later, she gets another call. Hi, can you work now? And she said, well, do you mind if I bring the baby? Uh, well, this is focused on the family, so I guess. And so she did. she would bring her son to work and be Connie. Yeah, and stand in the voice studio and record her lines and all that. Yeah, I don't know if they had single booths then or multiple. Uh, Obviously, you didn't have the baby in the recording studio. Well, no, you wouldn't have the baby in the studio. He would just cry and make noise. Yeah, but anyway, that's trivia on Connie. And fun trivia about the interconnectedness of the creative world. Yeah, we've discovered that kind of as part of the convention scene, going mm-hmm. to sci-fi cons. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if I'm within the state, local area, yeah, there's yeah, certain people, people that I'll see and it's like, hey, you! And, you know, you last year? Yeah. go over, shake hands, say hey, go about your work. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, Small it's world. just fun. Right, so we have the first introduction with Chris, who brings up the comment, the grass is always greener on the other side, which leads into 
kind of the thesis of the show. You wrote down what she said. It's better to stick with the things you have rather than things you just want. And then we go into Wit's intro, and then she kind of focuses that a little more on specifically contentment, and she brings up the Guess Who game, which this is the third Third episode in a row where they've done this. I have a mystery man that right. we're going to talk about, and this is the things. guy. Yeah, and she talks about all of these things that happened to this person. And if you have any sort of Bible knowledge, you know already who it is. Paul. Who, She's who talking about him being stoned and shipwrecked and all of this imprisoned stuff. Imprisoned. Yeah. yeah, and he, in all of that, learned to be content. So then we segue into the episode proper, and we're at wit's end. Yes, and it's super busy, right? There's just chaos and commotion going on. He's got one kid asking for a milkshake. He's got a lady calling him, asking him to fill in, teaching Sunday school. And Tom shows up midway through with a delivery from the dairy. And so you have this multi-layered, multiple conversations going on at once, and Wit's at the center of all of them. It's a four-way conversation, and everything is overlapping. Yeah, which is a really fun, almost vaudevillian kind of comedy. I would love to see something like this done on stage, I think would be even funnier. Mm -hmm. But the way it's handled is really good. For example, Tom is asking, where would you like these deliveries? And Wit is talking to the lady on the phone, and he says... The Mount of Transfiguration, because that's what he's going to talk to her Sunday school class about. And so Tom's like, like, what? "What?" And he's like, no, no, I want them in the hallway. The books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, John, and Freddie, Freddie, I'll be right with with you. you. No, Mary, and I know Freddie's not in the Bible. Yeah, and so it becomes this weird Abbott and Costello-y kind of bit. And the whole shtick being that Wit is just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, I want to talk about the talking to the Sunday school class, because we we both made this observation that, one, this is a nitpick, but it's a little inconsistent from the first episode, and we're only three episodes in. Yeah, and if you've been listening to our show, we've already kind of overanalyzed what is Mr. Whitaker's role at his church. Right. Because it talks about him being a Sunday school teacher, and I don't know that there's ever any follow-through. And already here, we have an inconsistency, because if he's already a Sunday school teacher, why would this lady be calling him to to fill fill in? in? But honestly, this feels more real life, more possible real life of what Wits... Compared with the scenario that they brought up in the first episode. Because in the first episode, he had said, I'm Davy's Sunday school teacher. But Davy has absolutely no knowledge of Wits' end. Which seems completely weird. Like, you would think that a new kid in town... Well, Davy isn't even a new kid per se. That was the next kid. He's been in town for a few weeks. No, that was this kid in the second episode. See, and now I'm getting stuff mixed up. Yeah, this is the problem when they have just one-off characters. The kid in the second episode has only been there a few weeks. For all we know, Davy has lived in on Davy is the screw-up on the baseball team. He's actually been on the baseball team for a while and stuff. He has a reputation. So how does he not know what's in? Especially if he's in Johnny Rue Whitaker's Sunday school class. You would think that other kids would be like, wait, what? You don't know what's in? This is a local gem. Come on, we'll educate you. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense because that was the first episode and the writers needed to introduce Wit's End. But it would have been better if, for example, Davy had been the kid who had just moved there. Yeah. Anyway, this is a huge nitpick. 
And, but, and this was probably way over convoluted than... Than you needed to hear. Anyway. But in this particular case, with the woman calling and saying, can you fill in, feels a lot more natural and the sort of thing that would happen in a general sure. Christian community. You know, if Witt is, for example, a deacon or elder at his church, which knowing him, he probably or, is. Or even if he's even not, if he he's a respected guy. He's clearly got a lot of knowledge. He's got a heart for kids. He's got a heart for teaching. He just kind of falls into teacher mode at the right. drop of anything. Yeah, so it makes perfect sense that somebody would call and say, hey, can you fill in? Anyway, that was a rabbit trail. After all of this conversation, and he hangs up with Marion, and he asks Tom to get Freddie his milkshake. And then we have a weird bit with Tom trying to operate the blender, and it's going haywire. And well, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But Tom talks to Wit and says, when are you yeah. going to finally hire someone? And Wit says, I'm trying. Which is I also... I just haven't found somebody yet. Which is also a weird point. How does he run? I would think that if you are going to run an ice cream shop, the first thing you already, need, yeah, you should have one or two employees. Witsend is not necessarily a new thing. As far as we know, we have not been told that Witsend is a new ice cream shop or a new business. But even if it was a new business, it would make you sense should, yeah. that you should have like one or two employees, even high school kids or whatever, to run the counter. Yeah. So how has he not hired somebody? And... Has anybody applied? So he says he's been looking. He just hasn't found somebody yet. So that brings up two questions. Is he just super particular? Or, or has, has nobody actually <laughs> responded? Applied? No one wants this job. Which that feels weird because I remember when we had a pizza place open up in Waxhaw, which is our hometown, all of the high schoolers in our church were like, you should go work at Fox's. Everybody yeah. was swarming the place. So Lots of kids worked that, at the same pizza place. Kind of the same thing happened when I was a lifeguard. Lots of so, kids who were already friends wound up lifeguarding together. Yeah, I feel like the same thing would happen at Woodson, even more so if they know who John Avery Whitaker is. Anyway, Amanda comes up and says... Amanda's a random kid. Amanda, random kid. We never hear from her, her again. Name. She's just kind of here for like Two 30 seconds. seconds in the episode. Comes and says that Bobby... Another random kid. Another random kid is trying to start a fight. He's making trouble over the Bible Bowl planning stuff. Mm -hmm. So Wit leaves Tom to make the milkshake any way he can for poor Freddie and goes to talk to Amanda and Bobby. So Bible Bowl is apparently this established thing at Wit's end. It's like trivia questions about Bible Very stuff. Very similar to Awana quizzing, if anybody's familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Which you have some background with. I do. I did a wanna quizzing from Chums, which is middle school through high school. That was super fun. I think our last year we went, if you are not familiar, when you get to the high school with a wanna quizzing, you're doing it as a team rather than individually for the speed. And we had been quizzing together enough that everybody knew what strengths we all had. And our coach had been our coach since middle school. So yeah, we yeah. had it down to a science, and my mom said that it was fun to watch the other teams get more and more frustrated <laughs> while we won regionals and state. It was very fun. Yeah, went, went all the way. Yeah, it, so, was, it was super fun. Yeah, that's a hoot. Mm -hmm. so, anyway, and, their Bible Bowl is similar. They do that at wit's end. and Wit had put Amanda and Bobby in charge of organizing it this year. Yeah, and Amanda comes up, and she's complaining that Bobby says that Bible Bowl is dumb. And he's like, whoa, whoa, I never said it was dumb. I just said that I'm tired of it. I'm bored with this. We do the same thing over and over and over again. 
And here is a scenario where Wit handled Bobby's complaining very constructively, rather than saying, well, yeah, he doesn't just suck say, it up. Yeah, he doesn't just say, shut up, kid, get over it. It was, well, okay, what do you think we should do instead? And poor Bobby is like, uh, 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 well, I don't have any ideas. I just think we should do something different. So in the, still in the meantime, like, it's in like, the, well, this is what we're doing yeah. unless you get a better idea. Well, and he said, Wit said, at that point, he didn't even default to shut up, kid. It was, I can understand things can feel old after a while, but it often depends on your perspective mm-hmm. and how you look at things. Which kind of touches a little bit on the thesis that Chris That's presented true. a little bit about contentment. And it's worth stating now, we've kind of nitpicked on the way that the moral or thesis or whatever was handled in the first couple episodes. This one is actually really consistent and tight throughout. Yes, this is the tightest one so far. So they kind of touch on that point, even in this conversation, Mm -hmm. early in the story. Yes. And he says that it's a matter of perspective. And, you know, Adventure just could walk in right through that door. And we hear the chimes. And Connie Kendall walks in. Hi, can you show me how to get to Front Street? Yeah. And everybody's like, yes. And you can tell she's a little thrown for a loop. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of a cute little storytelling thing. Adventure walks in through this door. It's also ironic because Connie at this point is, I would say, the least. She is the opposite of Adventure. We talked about her evolving as a character. In this episode, she's kind of just... Bland. Yeah, she's bland, grumpy teen. She's not adventurous at all. So here we have another example of economy of storytelling. We talked about this in the second episode where... Things get ramped up and things move quicker than they would in the real world just for the sake of... Needing to give a lot of information in a short space of time. These are 25-minute episodes. But this one, actually, it feels good the way they did it. Yeah, no, it feels fine. It didn't can, feel rushed. Certain certain types of people could actually have this kind of conversation. It would feel weird. You'd say, whoa, slow down. But this could actually happen in real life. Where so she's She shows up. Job. Yeah, she's looking for a job not at wit's end. She's looking for a job elsewhere. She's got directions to a place yeah. to be a clerk or something like that. And she's asking for, hey, does anyone know how to get here? And wit says, oh, you're looking for a job. And within the scope of two sentences, we hear kind of all of her life story. Yeah, I'm here from L.A., but I don't plan on staying very long because I want to get back. My dad lives in L.A. I don't really see him much anymore. It's almost like she's giving her life story. And if this was in a real situation, you would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, hey, I just yeah. met you and this is crazy. <laughs> but I don't need to hear all of that. However, then they lampshade it a little bit because she has the newspaper with her and Whit points out, oh, have you thought about other positions in these want ads? Like, look at this one. I'm looking for a, what was it, a hardworking teenager with perky personality, something. And he's like, that's my ad. What if you went down to the department store and got Got a uniform uniform and you start right now? And she's like, you offering me a job? And he says that he essentially has done her interview right now. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what else I could know about you. I already know about your family. I know where you're from. I know about your work history. She says that she was a waitress before. before. Yeah. So within the space of a two minute conversation, Wit knows enough about her. He wants to hire her and they lampshade it. And that was just fun bit of storytelling. And he's roped her in and she's just kind of swept uh, along. And he even says when they're talking about, well, well, how much would you pay me? He said, well, why don't I call so-and-so, you know, the person that owns the fashion store that she's going to go to and see how much she would pay you. And this was 
just a brilliant look at Wit, Wit the man, man about town. Yeah. You know, Wit the entrepreneur who knows everybody in Odyssey. That was fun. So then we have a transition where so, apparently she does take the job. Yeah, and she's walking actually to the department store to get her little apron or whatever her uniform is going to be. And this kid, Bobby, who had been complaining before, is the one who's like, I will walk you here. I've lived here since I was a kid. kid. And he's like 12. 12. He is a kid. When Make she a point says of this. she's from L.A., he's like, isn't Disneyland near there? Yeah, he's yeah. instantly starstruck. And through this conversation that we have, several things are revealed. It's obvious that he's got a crush. It feels like he's hitting on her. It's very awkward. And very, very awkward. And also that he is very, very impressed with well, the idea of yeah. Los Angeles, which anyone who's really spent much time in Los Angeles, it's not that exciting a place. It's kind of a dirty, dingy city. I went to film school out there. For a semester, yeah. Yeah, d- did not love it. Yeah, there's that. And from Connie's perspective, we also find out she is not a believer, which is interesting. Interesting maybe is not the word for it. Ties in probably with them wanting to have an antagonist for wit. That, yeah, okay, she's we'll like automatically make her an unbeliever, and she makes this comment when Bobby's like, "All we do is have Bible bowls." Oh, you mean Mr. Whitaker's into religion? Oh no, I really gotta get back to L.A., which felt a bit odd. It, over the I, top. I was yeah. like, you know, if you've spent any time around any amount of people, you'll be around people who share your beliefs and people who don't. A part of life is learning to get along with all sorts of different people. If you're like, I can't even be in the same room as someone who believes different than me, I'd be like, what kind of weird sheltered person are you? Yeah. So that was kind of strange. I've worked for people who are also Christians who share my faith. I've worked for people who very much are not and don't. And in both cases, I've had some great relationships with employers and coworkers and all sorts of things. So that came out very strange. I was like, okay, Connie, get out of your bubble a little bit. Right. So that was weird. But Bobby, being starstruck, has been asking her about movie stars. Have you met any movie stars? And And she's like, yeah, I've run into a one or two, whatever. And he starts playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. He's like, I went to school with a kid who was from L.A. who said he lived next door to the guy who cleaned Don Johnson's pool. We had to look up who this actor was. Yeah, I didn't even know who Don Johnson was. We had no idea. (laughs) This is the guy that was in Miami Vice. So, pretty cop show in the 80s. Not that big of a celebrity. But still, yeah, it was the, funny trying to play the game. And oh, I, I'm connected uh, somehow to make a connection, with this yeah. person. Yeah. So, all of that leads into, as they're talking and walking along, and Bobby's very obviously discontent. To him to saying him. that he hears that Connie wants to go back to L.A. And he's like, oh, it's probably dangerous to go to a big city like that by yourself. I'll go with you to protect you. And she's like, oh, what? And she doesn't really say, no, that'll never happen. Because what do you say to a 12-year-old who has just offered to be your knight in shining armor? Yeah, she doesn't have the guts to break his heart like that. So she's just like, oh, we're at the store. And kind of drops it from there. And that's the end of that scene. And then we have kind of an awkward transition. Abrupt transition. Abrupt is a better word, yeah. Where we flash forward a couple weeks, and it takes a well, little bit even, into that conversation to know long. how far forward we are. Right, they don't even say how far forward we are. So I thought initially that it was that afternoon, because she comes, Connie, she, Connie, comes and finds Wit, and she says, well, it's slowed down now, I think everybody's home for dinner, is there anything else you need me to do? And he said, oh, the freezer could use cleaning, but we can do that tomorrow. 
So I thought, especially because it's near closing time, we're at the end of the day. But then might, Whit says, like the same day. I suppose you've worked enough to get your bus fare. And she's so, like, yeah, I've saved up enough money. I'll be headed to L.A. soon. soon. So we were like, wait a second, how long has she been working? And this is what we do for you listeners. The, we went and looked up. Yeah, we had to do a little bit of research and a little bit of math. Right. So first, assuming that she's not making a lot of money, she's working at an ice cream counter. Mm-hmm. So we looked up minimum wage in 1987 was? $3.35 an hour. Yeah, so not very much. $3.35. Okay. Then, assuming... How many hours is she working? Yeah, assuming that John Avery Whitaker is an ethical boss and he's not going to be working this high school kid, we're not told that it's summer or school year. We're We're assuming that it's during the school year, in which case I would say your primary job needs to be going to school and then you can come and work. So probably working a couple hours a night, and then five hours, on you know, five Saturday. hours on Saturday or something like that. Because of course like he's going to be closed on Sunday. Like Chick Fil A. Yeah. Which also distributed Adventures in Odyssey stuff. That, so that is also true. We got several cassette tapes from Chick Fil A meals. Anyway, <laughs> so she's going to be working roughly fifteen hours a week at three thirty-five an hour. And how much is a bus ticket? So a Greyhound bus ticket is about one nineteen from Atlanta at the time. Yeah, it was in 1987. Which would be a little less for them because... Cross-country, cross- from Atlanta to Los Angeles. So there's extant material, I think this was in a book that we had, about extra stuff about Adventures in Odyssey, that they had an idea that Odyssey itself was sort of in the Midwest. Okay. Not very far from Chicago. So it would be a little less than 119, but we just decided to stick with 119. However, if this was fun. Yeah, stumbling through internet wormhole and looking up the bus fare prices from 1987. There was a promo that was run in February of 1987. February 4th, 19. It was just for one day. That you could buy a bus ticket for 59 cents? One way for 59 cents. So it was like a dollar something round trip. In which case, Connie would have had to work like washing dishes for an hour or something Something and be like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. But assuming that she missed that special, she would have had to be working there around two and a half weeks. So that is actually a reasonable time. And then it actually gives us a reasonable time for the rest of their conversation to make sense. Yeah. If it was just that same afternoon, none of it would make sense. Right. Nothing that follows. So that was a deep dive that I don't think anybody has ever done on. You're welcome. Adventures in Odyssey, yeah. You're welcome, Internet. Woohoo. All right. Back to their conversation. She saved up enough, and he's talking about how much she's hit it off with the kids. All the kids love her. There's so many times where the kids are like, did you hear what Connie said about blah, blah, blah? Did you hear Connie was an extra in a movie? Did yeah. you hear, you know, all kinds of things. And she sort of, you know, just blows it off. It like, off. Hey, yeah, yeah. And we and, find out that she hasn't yet told her mom that she's planning on going. Right. And here's where things get a little iffy in terms of it felt a little out of character for Wit not to have met her mom yet, especially if she has been working there for two and a half weeks. And she's a high school student. So, so it's, are her mom has come to pick her up at work or drop her off. So it might be it might be normal for other jobs. Let's just say well, yeah. it's not necessarily like your boss always is going to be meeting your parents right. when you have a summer job or right. something. But it is abnormal for Wit being who he is and being as community minded and mentorly and all of that mm-hmm. it would make sense if she showed up to pick her daughter up from work he would at least be like 
Yo, I'm Wit. Welcome. Here, sit down. Have a glass of lemonade. Let me... Let me talk to you about your daughter. She's great. Yeah, let me what pour you, into your you know, life a yeah, little bit. Exactly. What are you into? And... <laughs> what are you doing right now? How are you all getting on? Blah, blah, blah. Are you settling in? Okay. Yeah. That would have happened. But none of that apparently has happened. Yeah, in the two weeks she's been working. We're not told why. It just feels a little weird. But he asks her, what does your mom think about this? She's like, I haven't really told her. And he focuses more on, don't you think that it would hurt your mom if you left and didn't tell her? Rather than kind of the running away nature of yeah, rather this than saying, scenario. Yeah, what are you because, doing? Yeah, this is you, foolish. Yeah. He, never, he never straight up says this is foolish. No. But if you think about it, Connie has not said that there's anybody except her dad, whom they don't see very much, in L.A. Yeah, she mentions, like, so random friends. Like, would she go? be just couch surfing? Yeah. Or... Which, I mean, Connie, where she is at this point, She might probably... assume that she would be. Yeah. But I'm not sure that would actually work out in real life. Well, no, in real life, that is a stupid, stupid idea. But it doesn't mean that high schoolers don't have those really stupid ideas and act on them. So they start getting into not a heated discussion, because Wood is pretty patient in all this, but he is trying to talk sense to her that the trip itself is also going to be a little dangerous because you're going by yourself, you're a high school girl, and she and is you don't have anyone to to go with really, you or pick you, you up know, when you're there you don't even or have anyone really who knows where you're going if you're not telling your mom. And it's not even the same as dropping her on an airplane and then she gets picked up at the exactly. terminal or anything exactly. like that. Exactly. So she starts the conversation by saying, I came to work, I didn't want to lecture. And of course, he's not going to let that go. But this is an interesting characteristic of Connie that I didn't really think about until we started analyzing this episode. That Connie, even as she continues to grow as a character, maintains this aversion to direct conflict. Anything that is going to require soul searching mm -hmm. deep thought i mean she can pick and scrap and bicker fine but anytime you have to confront a yeah, serious yeah problem, when she's when she's she called on the, the carpet she doesn't really handle absolutely it well. hates it so she does it from the get-go here as soon as it's clear what's not going to let this go she's like you know what if i start now i can finish cleaning out the freezer and she just walks away talking and with like he's calling after her <laughs> yeah and then we have this really fun moment <laughs> oh, where yeah. bobby speaks up hey and, and you're like and what and which specifically says what are you doing here he's like i've been here the whole time and it feels like it would be a gag out of an edgar wright movie or out of an arrested development, development. episode Which actually that gag has been used in arrested development i think they're having a deep family conversation where wounds are healed and reconciliation and then suddenly you realize they're and, having this conversation in the boardroom with all the other execs. yeah the camera suddenly pans <laughs> out and you see everyone else there and i feel like that's what happened right here bobby appears out of the ether in but he Odyssey. says i've been here the whole time if this so. was a show we would have like a two shot back and forth to wit and connie and then suddenly pan down and there's bobby sitting in a bar stool just listening to everything i think yeah. it's hilarious that that is pretty funny but then we find out that through this two weeks of Connie working, she's never actually addressed the suggestion that Bobby made at the very beginning of going with her to L.A., and he still thinks he's going. And he tells Wit so. He yeah, says, I'm going to go with her to protect her. You don't need to worry about that. Everything's taken care of. And Wit's like, what? Yeah, he actually flips his lid. He does. And rightfully so. He's like, what are you doing? You can't take this kid. He goes stalking back and he finds Connie. And this is mad wit. Now we're having an argument. Mad and kind of sassy. <laughs> sassy. 
Kathy. You've used that term multiple times in discussing this before I, recording. And yeah. I'm like, sassy wit. It sounds very strange. But yes, sassy wit. Sarcastic. Sarcastic even. wit. But you articulated this pretty well this when is, you were discussing it. This is the first time in listening to these episodes that Mr. Whitaker has felt like Mr. Whitaker as I remember him. We see him angry, but there's no wounding on his part. He's not... He's not being petty. He's not being petty. He's angry, rightfully so. Yeah, it's this righteous anger that's not a petty thing. He cares deeply about others. He cares about Connie. He cares about Bobby. He cares about the whole world. Yeah, and he can't just stand by and let Connie be stupid and lead Bobby into the stupidity with her, especially. And break Bobby's heart. Well, he break Bobby's he heart. even makes the point, you gotta know the kid's got a crush on you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know what to do about it. And he's like, you should do something about it because you're responsible for him. Well, and what's great about this is that he doesn't demonize Connie for any of this. It's no. like, yeah, these things happen. Yeah, and he doesn't say Bobby's does... stupid having a crush on Connie. Exactly. This is just normal stuff. He's mm-hmm. a little boy. You're a teenage girl. He's going to have a crush yeah. eventually. Yeah. But with that being the case, you wield tremendous influence in his life, and he looks up to you, and you have the power to use that for good or to use it for ill. Well, yeah, and that's kind of the core of their conversation because he's saying the choices you make affect other people. Mm-hmm. Everything you do affects other people. God created us this way. And even though she says, oh, you know, I'm not really into God, so I don't really care what he wants. He skates right over that. It's a very balanced yeah, he's like, well, either situation. either way, we're made for community. The choices you make affect other people. Not like you're responsible for every person you pass in the street. That's absurd. Don't be dumb. But in but a very kind of real world way, would it be if everybody just went around caring only about themselves? Yeah, in a very real way, our lives touch others. And Connie has this statement that she makes. Well, who's going to care about me? I've got to look out for number one. And that's really a sad statement that gives you a little insight into Connie's world because maybe she hasn't had anyone really care about her, really pour into her. I remember encounters that I had with kids while I was teaching, and this sort of thing would happen from time to time. Kids were not used to having people concerned for them or looking out for them, and so they would sometimes be surprised. That you would want to do something for them. Yeah, surprised or touched or whatever to have someone go out of their way. And even the tough love that's willing to call a kid on the carpet and say, Listen, I care about you. I care about you doing the right thing. I care about you learning. And this is what we're going to do. And those were some of the most rewarding times I had as a Mm -hmm. teacher. Yeah. And you get this as we continue with Connie and Wit. You get that kind of earned respect. Mm -hmm. He doesn't quite have that now. So I like how they don't make him make it personal to himself. It's not an I care about you, so I think you should. It's a you have a ton of people who want to care about you. Mm Mm-hmm. But you need to let them. Even, and I'll grant it's risky. Even and, the kids. Yeah. Even the kids care about you. And it's very hard to do that because many times the people that care about you and you care about will let you down. 
but there's no benefit without the risk. It's um, worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Relationship is worth the cost. Yeah, and so it ends up that she's like, I don't know how to change Bobby's mind. He's made up his mind. What am I going to do? Well, and it's not even a matter of changing his mind, what says. He's like, there is an opportunity here for you to make things right. Right. And he says, it's going to cost you. Yeah. And he doesn't say what the plan is where you just transition again to the outworking of the plan, which has probably been, what, a few days? I would assume so. And it's the day that apparently Bobby thought they were going to take the bus to L.A. Because he shows up with his suitcase. He's like, I'm going to meet Connie here. Where is she? And And Tom Riley is down there and he's like, well, just have a seat. We're actually about to start up the Bible Bowl. Which also brings up where in the world are they having the Bible Bowl? Because... Whitsend is like the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. Yeah, to the point of they can have a school. It's so- a school that wins the Bible Bowl. Yeah, Spoiler. so there must be a lot of people yeah, there. How, Did they just they push all that? the restaurant tables aside? Or is there a stage set up at one end? Or use your imagination, folks. We have yeah, no idea. We have no idea how they do that. Unless it's the Little Theater and they just don't call it the Little Theater yet. Anyway. So they're going to start the Bible Bowl, and so he sits down, and Whit introduces their MC, who is Connie. And Bobby is like, what? Yeah. This is crazy. And so she steps up, and she's like, hey, folks, I'm new to this, but let's have some fun. And she starts reading off trivia questions. From the and, Bible. From the Bible. And she's having real trouble with pronouncing these Bible character names. It's a struggle everybody goes through yeah this is not just because connie didn't grow up in the church you know i have a hard time with this i can't pronounce most of these people's names well and i feel like there are some pronunciations where there are differing opinions like habakkuk for example habakkuk 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 Habakkuk. how (laughs) do you pronounce that i don't know what the hebrews would have how they would have pronounced it if you speak hebrew let us know yeah (laughs) how exactly is the hebrew pronunciation of habakkuk or habakkuk or however it is Anyway. anyway, but she's having a hard time with these and she reads this question and then some kid gives an answer and she's like, uh, I think maybe, right. I don't know, which leads me to question at first when I was listening, I was like, how does she not know? Why would they not write the answers on the cards so that she could be like, yes, you sir are correct or no, you're not or whatever. Well, and my answer was because it's part of the plan. Because immediately after she doesn't know the answer, she says, you know, I could really use some help with this. Can I have an assistant MC? Bobby, come on down. And, of course, peer pressure, everybody is like, Bobby, yay! And he winds up roped into this. And he's like, Connie, you're going to miss the bus. And she's like, don't worry about it. We're doing this now. There'll be other buses. It'll be okay. Yeah. And so they go through this whole thing. They run the Bible Bowl. Mm -hmm. And finally, this is Connie being a good sport. We're starting to see how potentially her character is going to unfold. Instead of grumpy, sulky teenagers, she's actually being a good sport about this. Yeah, because she made a point before that she's not really interested in the Bible or anything. Mm -hmm. And we have no real reason to expect that's changed. Yeah. But she's not like... I will have nothing to do with any of that. Yeah, she's not adamant or hateful or anything like that. She's like, hey, I'm game for whatever needs to be done. And here we are. Mm -hmm. And so they did this whole thing. And she's talking with Bobby afterward. He's like, I don't get it. You missed your bus ticket. And she says, listen, let's have a real talk about maybe I was too harsh on Odyssey. And maybe I need to stick around and give it a chance 
Yeah, because she said, I wanted to go back to L.A. because I had fun there. I had friends there and people liked me there. But I need to give Odyssey a chance because I have fun here and friends here and people like me here. And maybe you do, too. Yeah. And Bobby's like, Mr. Whitaker got to you, didn't he? And she kind of brushes aside that question. Yeah, sort of. But really, honestly, any place you live in is what you make it. You have the power here to make choices and change your perspective and be content, which ties back to the thesis from the very beginning. So it's an interesting scenario here. While she is having this conversation with Bobby because of the conversations she had with Wit, she is the one who is dispensing the thesis of the show. And here we have maybe the storytelling genius of Connie as a character, because her being this kind of in-between the teenager, depending on the needs of the episode, she can be in the kid role, be the one getting advice, or she can be in the adult role, the one dispensing advice. And she's our first character who does that. In this episode, she does both. She does, yes. Which shows her really, really diverse as a character, really useful, and she winds up being pretty three-dimensional. Yes, and we will have down the road a few more of these in-between young adult teenager characters that end up doing that. As you were talking about that, I was thinking of those characters. We don't need to go into much detail because we've not gotten there yet, but that happens with a lot of them, that they can do both and sometimes do both in the same episode. Mm -hmm. They learn something themselves, and then they're able to pass on what they've learned, which really, that's what discipleship is about. Mm -hmm. Wit is a discipler. Yeah. In the truest biblical sense of the word, he is teaching, training, mentoring all the time. He breathes that. Yeah. Even just by being around and hanging out. Mm -hmm. So we get back to Chris to wrap up the episode. And she says, you know, our trivia guy, our mystery man was Paul. And she talks about all the stuff that he went through. And still he learned to be content. Mm -hmm. And she makes a reference to Philippians 4.12, where he says, I'm going to read a few verses beforehand and afterward to get the context. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Chris doesn't give any context for this verse, but she (laughs) essentially unpacks it well. Again, we had said this is the first episode that carries the thesis through and isn't really playing fast and loose with the scripture. No, the scripture ties actually really nice. I have learned in all things to be content. And that is what Paul is saying here. And the context here is Paul's writing this from prison. Yes, to the Philippians, the church at Philippi. Things are not hunky-dory. And talking about, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. They had sent provisions, supplies, something to him by way of one of his helpers, and he was thanking them for it, but also saying, don't worry too much about me. I know you were concerned, and this is helpful, and this is a blessing, but don't be too worried, because I have learned in all things to be content, even though life sucks right now. Yeah. And we were tracking with Chris on this, up until the very last sentence, I was Arr. like, yes, 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 Arr, not quite. Because she wraps up the episode with this one statement that's he a little bit trite. the secret of contentment. What was his secret? That he served Jesus with all his might. 
And that's... Yes? It's true, but it's not quite true. Because it makes Paul sound like he was content because he was some sort of super Christian. He learned by his efforts, he served Jesus with all his might, and that made him content. And that's not quite right. What made Paul content was Christ himself, was Jesus himself. Well, yeah, and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that verse is also thrown around a lot, not in this episode, but it's thrown around a lot in Christian circles. And seeing the context here, Christ gives me contentment. Christ fulfills me. Therefore, everything not, else doesn't matter. Not in the scheme of things. It's like John Piper says in his concept about Christian hedonism, yeah. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Why was Paul able to be content in all things? Because he was ultimately satisfied with God Mm -hmm. and with Christ. Mm -hmm. And that was the bread of life that fed his soul. Yes. So that was really the only nitpick that I had, though. With the theological end of things in this episode, yeah, which that's really great. And I hope we continue to have episodes like that. Yeah, where things are more solid. This one's a five-star episode to me. Are we going to do ratings now? <laughs> oh, I don't know. We could. Uh, I, that I give would it, be hard. There's a I lot give of it episodes. Two ice cream scoops. <laughs> a raspberry and a fudge and a pistachio. I don't know. So, anyway. Anyway, thank you so much for hanging out with us, listening to us ramble about Odyssey and... Yeah, this is super fun. Once again, if you're interested, please hit those like and subscribe buttons and share us with your friends. Anyone who also grew up listening to this stuff. Even if you haven't listened to Odyssey and you're listening new along with us, that's awesome too. Yeah, if we're your introduction to this world, then welcome. That's also fun too. So have a great day and we'll see you next time.